the book of Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading in verse 40. When you got it, say so. All right. Okay. Four, five. All right, I need 20 more. I need 20 more, right? All right, Acts chapter 2, verse 40. When you got it, say so. If you don't have it, it's up here on the screen, all right, so you can follow along. And it says, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And the apostles, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this opportunity to come together to worship your glorious and beautiful name. Thank you for the reminders, Lord God, that your works are secure and that we go from glory to glory. Thank you for the truth in your word that changes us. Holy Spirit, may our ears be open, may our hearts be surrendered and sensitive, and may you speak to us clearly from your throne today, God. May we respond to you in faith, and may you be glorified in all that is said, and all that is heard, and in all that is done. We promise to give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, just raise your hand, and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. We want to be sure you're able to follow along and take some notes. And as always, I encourage you to utilize these as a tool in order to help someone else grow in their faith as a disciple of Jesus yourself. You are called to make disciples. And so today we are starting a new series entitled Devoted. I want to talk about being devoted to what God has called us to be devoted to. And so if you look at your outline there, a key component to the church enduring the many attacks and rifts that we will encounter is our devotion. When you think about it, anything that you are going to do, that you're going to accomplish, if you are not devoted to it, what's going to happen? When things get tough, you're going to bail. When things get difficult, you're going to stop. When things are not the way that you want them to be or thought they were going to be, then what's going to happen is you're going to turn away from them. It is the same thing when it comes to church life, when it comes to being a follower of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus, if we are not devoted then we are not going to continue forward to fulfill the mission of God. The question is this, to what are we to be devoted? To what are we to be devoted? And I want you to know something, whether you realize this or not, you are devoted to some things. There are some things you're devoted to. You wake up every morning and you, it may be a grudging devotion, right? But you, most of you wake up every morning, right, and you go to work. And sometimes you're not so happy, like you don't wake up like, yes, I get to go to work again. Nonetheless, you're devoted, right? It's grudgingly, but you're devoted because you don't want to live on the streets. Hello, somebody. 
right? You want, you want to have a home to live in, so you're, you're devoted there, right? In your relationships, there's some people that you're devoted to. There's some hobbies, there's some things you're devoted to. We are all devoted to things. But as believers, what is it that we are supposed to be devoted to? What are we supposed to be devoted to? And so here's the thing. Today, right now, if you asked 10 Christians from 10 different churches what the church should be devoted to, you would potentially get 10 different answers. As a matter of fact, I would venture to say if you took 10 Christians from this room before this sermon and you asked them, what should you be devoted to, I'm, a sh- I'm pretty sure you'd get a few different answers. And you know why it is? It's because sometimes we think it's a trick question, right? It's like, well, you know, I'm in church, so what's the church answer? What's the right answer? And sometimes we just don't give, we don't, we don't just give the truthful answer that's just in our heart, and so we get confused or whatever. I told you this story before. You know, it's like the kid who's in children's church, and the teacher is describing this little fluffy thing that's brown. It has white stripes, climbs trees, and eats nuts. And the teacher's like, well, what is it? And the kid is, is sitting there, and is like, well, um, it sounds, it looks like a squirrel like you're describing, but we're in church, so Jesus is always the answer, so it must be Jesus. <laughs> and so nonetheless, right, we, it's like, is, 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 it, is it a trick question? Like, what should we be devoted to? No, it's not a trick question. This is a real question. What should the church be devoted to? And here's why this is so important, church. Read this with me. You don't have to read it out loud, but just read along. If we cannot agree, if we, the church, cannot agree on what we are to be devoted to, we will never fulfill the mission of God for his church. If we cannot agree on what we are to be devoted to, we will never fulfill the mission of God for his church. I want to tell you something. The reason why the church is in the condition that it's in today, the reason why the nation is in the condition it is today, is because the church is divided on what it should be devoted to. We're not united. Therefore, we see things, and if you go back in history, there are things that probably would have never happened in history past had we been devoted to what we're supposed to be devoted to. So the question is this, what is it that the church is supposed to be devoted to? What are we supposed to be devoted to? We are supposed to be devoted to one thing. And, I, and, and, and for those of you that call core faith your home, we need to have this terminology down in our hearts. We need, to, we need to understand it. But I don't just want you to know what to say when you're asked the question. But it's really something that we're living. What we are supposed to be devoted to. Any church, all of the body of Christ, is supposed to be devoted to one thing primarily. And it's simple, making disciples. I say it's simple, that doesn't mean it's easy. It is making disciples. We are called to be devoted to the making of disciples. And here's what I want you to think about this morning. If the foundation of our devotion is firm, the focus of our devotion will be fixed. If the foundation of our devotion is firm, then the, the focus of our devotion will be fixed. How many of you have ever, have, have ever shot a gun? Raise your hand if you ever shot a gun. All right, so for those of you that have not done it, I encourage you to do it. It's a lot of fun. Um, somebody was looking in first service like, no, no, never me. And I, thought, I was like, hey, you should shoot a gun. And they were like, yeah, I did, and I dropped it, and I'm never going to do it again. And I was like, okay, so I can understand why you would never do that. I wouldn't want you shooting next to me either. But anyway, um, here's the thing. When you, when you go, I had, had the privilege the other day, uh, my brother Jose here, you know, he, he took me, me and Pastor Aldo out to shoot. It was probably one of the best times I've ever had. I encourage you not just to shoot a gun, but I encourage you to shoot a gun outside. 
It's like a totally different thing than going inside. But anyway, that's a whole other another topic here. But nonetheless, it's funny because we're, as we're standing there, these other guys are pros. We're not necessarily pros. You know, we're more the, you know, the Instagram picture guys. Like, you know, so we're standing for pictures, right? Not for performance, so to speak. And so what ends up happening is in some of the moments, the guys are like, we're getting ready to shoot a shotgun. So they're like, yeah, you might want to lean forward a little bit when you shoot. Like, you want to lean into this thing. Don't be rocking backwards, right? Because what? You have to have a firm foundation. If your foundation isn't firm, guess what? Your focus is going to be all over the place because you're going to be looking at different things. But when your foundation is right, then you're able to focus. This is not just true with shooting a gun. This is true with life. When your foundation is not right, when your foundation is not firm, you start focusing on all kinds of other things. But when your foundation is secure, when your foundation is firm, what happens is you are able to always go back to the foundation. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing what I'm doing? What am I supposed to be doing? Then you're able to go back to that place and understand, okay, this is what we're supposed to do. As believers, it's the same thing. We have to have our foundation firm in Christ and what we're called to do in our devotion. And so the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, right devotion will lead to cultural impact. Right devotion will lead to cultural impact. And so you guys know that I love the book of Acts. The book of Acts is absolutely one of my favorite books. And why is that? Because the book of Acts shows us what it is to be the church, what it means to be the church. You get to see this beautiful history. That's what the book of Acts primarily is. It is a history book for the church. It is 30 years. It is the first 30 years of the history of the church. And what we see is what the church should look like, what the church should be devoted to. We see that from the beginning to the end of the book of Acts, there is one focus that is there throughout the entire pages of that book, and it is a church that is committed to making disciples, that no matter what persecution rose up, no matter what hardships arose, no matter what difficulties happened, the main focus, the main thrust of the church was to make disciples. Jesus is there in the beginning of the book of Acts chapter 1, and what happens is as he is there in Acts chapter 1, he's with his disciples, and he's telling his disciples that he is going to go, he's going to go away, that they are going to stay here, and they need to be endued or filled with power so that we they can be witnesses. As he tells them that they're, they're going to be witnesses, then the scripture shows us in chapter 2 that they're in the upper room. And as they're in this upper room, there's 120 disciples that are there, and they're praying and they're seeking God for 10 days. And at the 10th day, the scripture says, and suddenly the Holy Spirit enters the room with tongues of fire, sit upon each person that's in the room. They start speaking in different tongues. There's all kinds of people that that are there for the feast time, right? Because you got to remember that it's the time of the feast for the Jewish people. And so all the Jews have traveled from all over the place to actually come to Jerusalem. And so they're all there. Now remember, the Jews have been scattered. So they speak different languages in, 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 in the different areas where they're from. Well, these people are speaking in tongues in the upper room. And obviously it had to be like open or something because they heard, right? And they heard them praising the Lord in their native tongues. They were like, yo, what's going on? Are these people drunk? They're like, nope, they're not drunk. Paul, I mean, Peter gets up and he says, no, 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 man, they're not drunk as some of you suppose. It's only 10 o'clock in the morning. Hello. I mean, they could have been drunk if it was later. I'm just kidding. But nonetheless, it's too early for that, right? I guess. I, you know. But he, but he points out, he's like, it's too early for them to do that. He said, but this was the promise that was given. And then he proceeds to preach the most powerful gospel message that is so clear, so convicting, letting them know you are the ones that crucified this Jesus. You know who he is. It is your hands that are guilty. And rather than them stoning him, you know what they do? The scripture says 3,000 of them turn to the Lord. 
3,000 of them turned to the Lord. And when they turned to the Lord, this is where we pick up our story here. When they turned to the Lord, they are devoted. And I love this because when you look at verse 42 here, in my translation, which is the New King James Version, it says, and they continued steadfastly. In the ESV and other translations, it says, and they devoted themselves. And they devoted themselves. I want you to think about that for a moment. Because when you think about right devotion leading to cultural impact, it's important that we have right devotion. And so the only way we're going to know what right devotion is is to understand what it means to be devoted. So when you look at that word devoted, it means to continue. And it means to be strong. It means to be staunch. And it means to, and, and it's original, it means to persist, to um, persist obstinately in. To persist obstinately in. In other words, no matter what was coming their way, they continued in these things. They continued. They didn't, someone didn't force them. I need you to hear that. They devoted themselves. That's the key here. They devoted themselves. They were given. They continued. They started this. They were changed by the power of God. And then once they were changed by the power of God, what did they do? They devoted themselves to certain things that had to do with making disciples. Here's why this is so important that you realize that they devoted themselves. Because right devotion is impossible if it's unwillingly. Listen, you cannot be devoted because someone else dragged you. Remember what I said about your job? Some of y'all are grudgingly devoted. If you could find a better job, you'd be out. Peace. <laughs> You're not there because you love this place. You're not there because it's so amazing. You're there because it pays the bills, right? For the, but for some of us that love what we do, right, I'm not, listen, I'm not looking for another church to go preach at. I'm not looking for another job. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm happy, glory to God. I'm grateful that I get to do what I do. And so I love what I do, right? I'm, I'm grateful. I'm devoted to what I'm called to do, right? I, I, I'm, that's, that's me, but see, some, some people are not in their, in their specific situation. So what we have to have is we have to have devotion that is not because someone makes you, not because the pastor says, hey, you got to read your Bible, so I'm going to read my Bible. Oh, you need to be in a Bible reading plan. Oh, well, I'm going to be in a Bible reading plan. Hey, you need to pray. So, well, the pastor said we need to pray. Well, I'm going to pray. Or, you know, my small group leader said I need to do this. No, no, no. Devotion has to be something that is coming from you, a decision you make. If not, it's not going to be real devotion. These people devoted themselves. No one twisted their arms to do this. The Holy Spirit convicted their hearts to do this. They became devoted. The motivation of their devotion was what? It was the life of Christ. It was the cross of Christ. It was the resurrection of Christ and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Remember, this is fresh off the press. Jesus had just died. Jesus rose again. They walked with Jesus for three years. They heard him preaching, teaching. They saw the signs and the wonders. They were convinced that he was the Messiah and the Savior. Then they watched him die. They were confused. They weren't sure. Was this the one we were waiting for? We, 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 there's no way that he was going to die. They didn't understand the scriptures. Jesus rises again. It's so powerful stuff. Jesus rises again, and when he rises again, he comes and reveals himself to them, shows himself to them, and he's with them for 40 days. And then again, he, he, he goes and he ascends into heaven, as we see in the beginning of the book of Acts. Jesus gives us this, this mandate to make disciples. Their motivation was what? Now they were motivated by the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. The Holy Spirit comes, and now they are moved by the power of the Holy Spirit into this place of devotion. I want I want you to get this our devotion to Christ our devotion to Christ makes our devotion to his word his purpose his provision and his presence transformational 
I want to say it again. Our devotion to Christ makes his word, makes his purpose, makes his provision, makes his presence transformational. It's not a devotion to reading the Bible. It's not a devotion to being in fellowship that changes us. It's not a devotion to the provision that Jesus made in, 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 in the communal sense. It's not those things. It is when we are committed to a person. Listen, what separates Christianity from all other religions, this is not just about rules. It is about a relationship. It is a relationship that changes us. And so what is their devotion? It is their devotion to Christ. The first thing is their devotion. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. It says to us in verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in four things. The apostles' doctrine, his word, fellowship, his purpose, in the breaking of bread, his provision, and in prayers, his presence. So the first one is his word, the apostles' doctrine. So what were they devoted to? After they had been saved, they were devoted. They devoted themselves. They gave themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to the teachings of the apostles. So what were the apostles teaching? Well, they were teaching what Jesus taught them, were they not? That's what they were teaching. Those 120 that were there, those were 120 disciples that walked with Jesus. And so you know what they were commissioned to do at the end? Jesus said, to go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have told you, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. And so what was the apostles' doctrine? It was what Jesus taught. What are we supposed to teach people? What Jesus taught. Are you here? The gospels become so important because if you don't have the gospels that have been written with the teachings of Jesus, you cannot effectively teach people what they need to know. But here's the thing that we have to understand. They were committed to the apostles' doctrine. But this is what we have to grasp about their devotion. They weren't just devoted to hearing the apostles' doctrine. They weren't just devoted to knowing the apostles' doctrine. They were devoted to obeying the apostles' doctrine. There's a difference. There's a story that we heard yesterday, and I, I thought it was hilarious. I got to share it. And we were in a training, and Pastor John said he didn't know if this story is, is accurate or not. But he said this. He said that there was a pastor. He was an intern pastor, 80 years old, came into a church. And when he came into the church, he gets up there the first Sunday to preach. He preaches the most fiery sermon these people have ever heard. They are so stirred by this. They're like, wow, this is awesome. Pastor comes back week number two. He preached the same exact message. So they're like, well, he's 80. Maybe he forgot. He didn't, you know. <laughs> Comes back week three, preached the exact same sermon. One of the deacons says, man, I'm going to have to say something to the pastor and be like, hey, man, I don't know if you realize this. So deacon pulls him to the side, says, hey, pastor, I don't know if you realize this, but you preached the same sermon three weeks in a row. And the pastor's like, good, you heard it. Now, when you start living it, I'll preach another message. Now, we laugh at that, right? But let me ask you a question. How many sermons have you heard preached from this pulpit? How much application in your life have you made from these sermons? Because it's not just about hearing. It's about doing what God's word says. It's not just about knowing what God expects. It is obeying what God expects. It is doing what God wants us to do. They were given to the apostles' doctrine. Here's what you have to grasp. Right devotion to right doctrine will lead to right living. If you are learning more about God but not living more for God, I got a question. Are you really learning about God? Are you really learning from God? Because the devotion to the apostles' doctrine was to obey what they were hearing. Remember, teachers in those days weren't like teachers in these days. 
the way that you knew. I love what Jesus does when he makes a, what we would call a, I'll call it a present-day altar call. Jesus does this. He's like, hey, come follow me. And he keeps walking. He didn't, like, wait for you to come and cry and all. No, no, follow me. And it's like he turns around and he keeps walking. And then he's like, oh, you want to follow me? Okay, let me tell you what following me means. If you're going to follow me, you must pick up your cross. You must deny yourself daily. And then he's like, okay, let's keep it moving. This is what Jesus says. I want you to follow me. I want you to obey me. He wants to, us to obey his word. And so we have to be devoted to the apostles' doctrine, to God's word. The second thing he says here is he says they were committed to what? They were, they were committed to the, the, uh, the apostles' doctrine. And the second thing is and fellowship. Fellowship. I love this word fellowship, right? But I want you to get this. Fellowship isn't just friendship or relationship. It is purposeful gatherings of believers. See, we are supposed to be in fellowship one with another. It's not just when you think about fellowship. Hey, we're going to go hang out. We're going to do a barbecue. We're going to do this. That's all good. That's all fun. But is that purposeful? Is it leading to you being more like Christ? Is it leading to you following the Lord? Is it leading to you serving him in a greater manner? See, because there's purpose in this fellowship. What the Apostle Paul says, you can write this down in Philippians 1 and verse 5. He makes us understand a little bit better what this fellowship is. He's encouraging the church in Philippi with these words. He's, he encourages them and thanks them for their fellowship in the gospel. Their fellowship in the gospel. Their fellowship in the making of disciples. He is thanking them for that. So what does fellowship mean? It signifies in the widest sense cooperation. So it's working together. So we are devoted to fellowship. We're devoted to working together for the gospel. We're devoted to working together to fulfill the purpose of God. But he also goes on in, in this definition, and it, it's, it's this. It is participation in sympathy in suffering and in labor. So when we're in fellowship, you know what we do? We sympathize one with another. We look at where we are in life. We look at what's going on in each other's lives. We suffer with each other. If you're broken, I'm broken. Are you here? If you're suffering, I'm suffering. What we're going through, this fellowship that we're supposed to have, there has to be laboring together for the gospel. The third thing is his provision. So what does it say? They were also committed to the breaking of bread. And so the breaking of bread is communion, and you'll notice we did our service a little bit different today. And that's intentional by design. But because we haven't done communion yet, we'll do communion after the sermon. But here's the thing. We participate in communion every single day. Every day. We, or every Sunday that we get together, we participate in this communion. And why is it that we do that? It is because communion reminds us of our sin. It reminds us of our Savior. It reminds us of our salvation, does it not? Whenever they sat down together and they were breaking bread, remember their communion meal was different than ours. It wasn't a little cup and a little piece of bread. It was a full-on meal. But in those communion meals, they were having some deep conversations. There was teaching that was taking place during the time that they were in those communion times together. And every time they came to the point in their meal together when they were partaking of this bread and partaking of this wine, they were reminded of some things that happened, whether it was the betrayal of Jesus, which reminds us that we are all betrayers, are we not? We are all those who have sent Jesus to the cross. We are reminded of those things. And we're reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us. He died in our place so we could have eternal life, so we could experience what forgiveness really is. He points us to that. And see, that's why this becomes so, so very important, right? When you think about communion, why do they break bread all the time? Why is this such a big deal? Because the reality is we're in this place together. Because of that. 
because of the blood and because of the bread. Think about it. How many of y'all knew me before you came to Corfe Church? Just raise your hand if you knew me before you came to Corfe Church. So we have one, obviously you knew me. Um, you gave birth to me. <laughs> so we have only a few people in this room, right, that knew me. And if you think about this, how many of y'all knew each other before you came to Corfe Church? Most of, listen, the only reason why we're together today is because of the blood of Jesus. The only reason why we are together, we, we listen, some of y'all lived up north and I'm from South Florida. We would have never met each other. We don't like the same things. We're not part of the same political parties. Hello, somebody, right? We don't, we don't agree on the same type of music. We don't agree on, we, listen, we don't agree on, on anything, right? Why would we ever come together? For no reason but to fight. Hello. But the blood of Jesus unifies us. Now we have this common ground, which is Christ. Now we come together and we are reminded when we partake of communion that you are my brother, you are my sister, I am your brother. We are part of the same body because of the blood of Jesus, because of this broken body. But not only are we reminded of our sin and our Savior, we are reminded of our salvation that is incomplete. Why is it incomplete? Because we still suffer from sin. We still suffer with the struggles in our world and what is going on around us. But there is coming a day where there's no more tears. There is coming a day where there's no more sorrow. There is coming a day where there are no more bills. There is coming a day where there's no more mortgage. There is coming a day where we don't have to worry about how we're going to do A, B, C, and D. There's coming a day that all we're going to do is worship and glorify the king. As we look forward to that day, you know we're also reminded of? That we are the body of Christ and we are given a mission by God. And that mission is to make disciples. That mission is to ensure that we are sharing the gospel with as many people as we possibly can. That we are sharing the gospel, letting them know about this salvation. Listen, you all got to get excited about heaven and let people know about this salvation that is there. This salvation that, listen, this side of the earth, we can't even appreciate it the way that we know that God is coming and we're going to experience this glory for all of eternity. And then the last one is they were committed or they were devoted to prayer. His presence. Some of you may not like presence because it sounds a little bit, you know, mystical or something like that. But I'll say his power, committed to his power. But here's what I mean by his presence. When these people prayed, what were they doing? They were recognizing and acknowledging the fact that they needed to come before the supreme king to make sure that his presence was with them wherever they went. They needed God's power to be with them everywhere they went. Can I tell you something? You, you want to know how much you depend upon God? Let's talk about your prayer life. Let's, let, let, let's not talk about all that other stuff you know. Let's talk about how much time you pray. Let's talk about how much time you are in the presence of God. But let me not just leave you by yourself because some of us think that I'm only talking about our individual prayer lives. Can I tell you something? One thing you'll read throughout the book of Acts and that you will learn is that they are a community of believers. They weren't just committed to their own prayer time. They weren't just committed to their own time of prayer. They were committed to communal time of prayer. Listen, church. We need to pray one with another. Whenever there's an opportunity to pray, you should be the first one there, right? As, I mean, I'm saying if it's every day, I can't expect you to be here every day. But when we have opportunities to pray, you should be present to pray. You know why some of us don't know each other? We don't even pray together. You don't hear my burdens. You never share your petitions with me. How are you my brother and my sister? Listen, my brother and my sister, I know what my brothers and sisters' burdens are. I know what they're going through. I know what my wife is dealing with. I know what's going on. Why? Because there is a relationship. 
And so we know these things. We pray together, church. We have to be not only committed to my own salvation, to my own personal relationship with God. We need to be committed to that, that, that communal relationship with God. They were given to prayer. They were seeking God's face. I love this, and I want you to think about this. A prayerless church is a powerless church, and a powerless church is an impactless church. If you are a prayerless church, if we are a prayerless church, we're going to be a powerless church. We don't have what, what we need in order to bring change into people's lives. We have to be a church that is filled with the power of God so we can make impact in our culture. I love what the verse goes on to say in verse 43. It says this, look at this here. It says, then fear came upon every soul. Say every soul. Fear came upon every soul as a result of a church devoted to the apostles' teaching, a church that was devoted to the breaking of bread, a church that was devoted to fellowship, a church that was devoted to prayer. Then fear came upon every soul. That means saved and unsaved alike. Are you here? There was a fear of God that was upon the community and upon that culture. That is what we lack today, church. There is a fear of the Lord that is lacking. But can I tell you something? If we don't have the fear of God here, we're never going to have the fear of God out there. If we don't reverence God here, we're never going to see the fear of God overwhelming lives there. If we're not devoted to seeking God the way we ought to, we're never going to see the fear of the Lord impacting lives there. They were impacted by the fear of God. And you're going you're gonna to see later on when we look at the friction that was there. Listen, there was fear. There was people that were like, you know what? We're not going to be part of the church because they understood what? God is holy. I'm not. This is righteous. I'm not walking that path. It was none of this in-between stuff that we have in our culture today. There's like a, a lot of in-between stuff. Y'all ever noticed that now? There's a lot of in-between stuff like, oh, well, they might be. I don't know if they might be. What do you mean they might be? <laughs> there's no might be, right? There, there is, you're either walking with the Lord or you're not, right? It's like, there's no might be, right? Now, you may be a baby. Hello, somebody. That, that, that may be true, but I'm just talking about like people that are like they're, 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 they're okay in some way, shape, or form. Like they're okay with God, but they're not walking with God. No, no, no. There has to be a fear of the Lord that returns, and that begins with us by us standing firm upon what God has called us to believe in his word. The results of right devotion is cultural impact rooted in the fear of the Lord. And here's what I want you to know. The power of God will be manifested as God desires because what does it go on to say? It says, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Here's what I want you to know is that it's not up to me. It's not up to you to decide when signs and wonders happen. We shouldn't be chasing signs and wonders. We need to chase the one who produces them. That's what we do. We produce the God who wants to bring salvation to souls, who wants to bring deliverance to lives. And if he chooses to manifest himself in those ways, glory to his name. But we have to be faithful to pursue him with all of our hearts. The second thing, I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, right devotion will lead to caring community. Right devotion will lead to caring community. And so we see what the foundations of devotion are. But then we have this here in verse 44. It says, now all who believe, say all who believed. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now all who believed, this is so, so very important, all who believed. Here's what you got to get. Radical transformation will always lead to radical commitment. Radical transformation will always lead to radical devotion. When you really get saved, when you really experience God, listen, you want to give all of your life to God, not just part of your life. You want every part of your life to be given unto the Lord. I told you all the story before. I mean, I'm sure I haven't shared it in a long time, but um, 
I mean, I remember being a Christian when I first got saved, man. I prayed about everything, y'all. When I say everything, I wanted to make sure my life was devoted to the Lord. I didn't want to miss God on anything. I would talk to God about, can I get a haircut? Hello, somebody. I think that's why he took my hair. He's tired of me asking him about that. You know, he's like, listen, let's shave it off, you know. Like, you ain't got to worry about it. I mean, but I, I, listen, I wasn't trying to be super holy. I was like, I just want to walk in step with the Lord. I want to walk in alignment with God. I want to be in, I, I want to know what his will is. I don't want to miss him. And here's the thing. One of the components of the church that is lost in our, individual, in our individualistic lives is our lack of genuine, sacrificial care for the community of believers. Listen, we are called to be in relationship with one another. We are called to care for one another. Here's what I think. I don't think that the truth is that if we were really the caring community that God calls us to be, you know what we would never, ever have to do? We would never have to take up an offering because someone is suffering. We'd never have to do that. You would never need to hear that from the pulpit. You know why? Because you would know what's going on within your small groups. You would know what's going on within the lives of those believers that are around your church. That's what's supposed to be happening. We are supposed to care one for another. We are supposed to be concerned about one another. And so here's some things you have to understand about this portion of the scripture. First of all is this. This giving was spirit-led. It was spontaneous, not forced. That's the first thing you got to understand. When you look at this as an example, nobody twisted anyone's arm and said, hey, if you own property, you got to sell it. That wasn't a teaching of the apostles. They didn't say that. Oh, well, you, if, if you own property, you have to sell to take care of all these other people. What we, what, we, what we have to get is that they came out of themselves and they decided. When you look at Ananias and Sapphira, we know that that's true there. Because what did the apostles tell them? Hey, when you sold it, was it not yours? Why are you lying about it? You don't have to lie about it. You could have simply said, hey, we sold this property. We're going to give you 90% of what we got. We're going to keep the rest. I don't know. They chose not to do that for some reason because they were worried about people thinking they were doing something when they really weren't. Instead of them being focused on what? The fact that they, listen, people were moved. Nobody was forcing them. We, we can't force people to do this. Amen? Nobody should be forced to give something that they don't want to give. They don't want to give it. Hey, it's on them. That's between them and the Lord. They got to deal with that. When you give yourself to the Lord, can I, can I say, I'll say it like this. When you give yourself to the Lord, giving other things is really easy. Right? When, when your heart is given to the Lord, giving other stuff, giving time, giving talent, giving treasure, that comes easy because you've already given your life to the Lord. Now, if you're trying to get people to give and they haven't given their heart to the Lord, there's going to be a problem with that. Hello. Because now it's religious legalism. Here's the second thing. First of all, it was spontaneous, spirit-led, not forced. The second thing, it was primarily about the needs of the saints. Who were the saints that were there? Remember what I just said earlier? All of these people were in Jerusalem. They got saved. They didn't live there. So you know what happened? They were like overwhelmed by what occurred. And so what happened to them is they were like, man, we don't want to leave this place, but we don't have a place to live. Hello. We don't have jobs here. We don't, we're not from this place. But we don't want to leave because we know God is doing something. And so what did the believers that were from there do? They sold stuff so that way they could take care of the needs of the believers that were there. So what does that mean? Does that mean that we don't care about other people that are not believers? No, that's not what that means. But what that means is that we care one for another. The book of Acts chapter 1 verse 8 tells us that we are supposed to be witnesses to all of the world, right? We're supposed to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so while we minister and meet each other's needs, what are we also doing? We're also ministering to others that are out there that don't know Christ. Let me say this to you. Jesus said this to us. He said that you would be known as my disciples. Why? Because of your love. 
the love that you have for one another. And so you know what, church? When we care for one another, and then all of a sudden you're, you're living in your life, right? You're going through whatever hardship you're going through. And then the church comes around you, and they're encouraging you through whatever the situation is. You know what starts to happen? What starts to happen is those people that are not believers, they start to see what kind of support you had. They start to see who was around in your life. And listen, you may have fallen short in this area. That happens. Today's a day for us to grow and for us to make a commitment that we're not going to let anybody fall through the cracks. That we're going to be there to encourage people as they go through hardship as they go through difficulty, that we're going to suffer with them, that we're going to rejoice with them, that we're going to walk with them and ensure that as the world sees our love one for another, you know what happens? That opens the door for the gospel. That opens the door for our witness and we're able to minister to other people. Right devotion will be seen most clearly in our care one for another and our commitment one to another. And in this, the world will see Christ in us. And then you know what? They'll be open to hear the gospel. Because they see how we care one for another. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, right devotion will lead to gospel engagement. Right devotion will lead to gospel engagement. Verse 46, it says, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And I love this. Praising God. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So let me say it like this. The overflow of our devotion to God's word, to God's purpose, to God's presence, to God's provision is going to be that we will be witnesses unto the world. That's what the scriptures show us here. These people continue daily. They were in the temple. They had the larger gathering. They worshiped together. But then they left from the temple. They went from house to house, breaking bread. And so you know what that means for us? Hey, church, let's take an example from this. Let's look at how can I invite my brothers into my home? How can I bring my sisters into my home? How can we engage with one another in our homes, breaking bread together, worshiping God together, seeing how we can impact our communities together? How can we do that? We need to think about those things. But this is the beauty of this. In verse 47, he says, and praising God. Why does that matter so much? Because as I was looking through the text, I always wonder, how do we get to the point where he says at the end, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And when I was studying this out, it was those words right there, praising God. As they were praising God, God was using their praise of him to impact lives and bring lives into the kingdom. That to me, I was like, wow, that's so awesome. And then I, I was like, okay, so what, what does Scripture affirm this? Well, turn with me really quickly to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. And most of you know this Scripture by heart, but we're going to turn there together because I want us to see what the text says. In verse 9, it says this. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, his own special people. Now, those are some beautiful words, are they not? They're encouraging words, right? Uh, you're chosen, and you're royal, you're priesthood. I mean, you're awesome, according to this scripture, right? Not because you're awesome, God's awesome, but you're awesome too, right, with him, right? <laughs> you're a lowercase a awesome, I'm just kidding. Here's the thing. It's a joke, y'all, but, here, but here's the thing. That, say that. That. 
See, the reason why you are a chosen, uh, you know, a chosen generation, the reason why you are a royal priesthood, the reason why you are a holy nation, the reason why you are a special people is so that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. You see, the reason why you and I have been chosen, the reason why you and I have been saved and set free and delivered, the reason why is so we can be proclaimers of praise. And listen, church, proclaimers of praise does not mean that you walk around singing songs all the time. That's not it. It's kind of hard to have a conversation with someone who's singing all the time, is it not? <laughs> and sometimes I'm sitting down, I'm on, the, I'm on the keyboard, and my wife comes over talking to me, and I'm like, yeah. And, I'm, and she's like, you got to stop playing. Why? Because I'm not paying attention. We're not having a conversation, right? So if I walk around. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a praise in your mouth, right? Have a praise in your mouth. Have a song on your heart always. But when you walk around praising the Lord, what happens is you are exalting God in your world. You're making sure that those unsaved people around you know who gets the glory for everything you have. When they're looking at your marriage, you're not talking about how great you are or how great your spouse is. You're talking about how great God is. You're taking opportunities to share with people. Man, you know what? It wasn't always like this. For some of you, you got a real testimony, glory to God. For some of you, people look at your marriage like, man, I want that marriage. That's a great opportunity for you to say, but can I tell you something? This marriage ain't always been like that. <laughs> Let me tell you why it's like that. You want a marriage like this? Let me tell you the key. Let me give some praise to God. Let me proclaim the praise of the Lord. You have your children, they live a certain way, act a certain way. Well, you know what? You give praise unto God because of that. Whatever it is, your finances that God has blessed you with, you give praise unto God. You make sure that this world knows that everything you have is because of the grace and the mercy of God. And then you're able to do what? You're able to proclaim his praises. You're able to let this world know, man, I was, I was once not a, not a people, and now I am. Now I'm part of a people. I'm part of the body of Christ. And God wants you to be part of that body. You know what the problem is? The problem with us when it comes to evangelism, here's the thing. When evangelism becomes so difficult, you want to know why it's so difficult? Because it's forced. It's not natural. See, some of you, when you got saved, you couldn't shut up about Jesus. Now, you don't know when to talk about Jesus. You've allowed the culture to dumb down your proclamation of praise because you're afraid to offend somebody. Church, some of you are more worried about offending the world than you are about offending your Savior. Some of you are more concerned with not offending your coworker or whoever because, man, I don't know if that's going to be politically correct. I'm going to preach that sermon in a few weeks. Check it out. You should be more concerned with giving praise to God and glorifying him. We need to come back to that place. See, it was easy when you first got saved. Like, you didn't care what anybody thought because you were so radically moved. Nobody could shut you up. Hello. Listen, we need to go back to that place of radical devotion. We need to go back to that place where, man, look, I don't, it, it may offend you. It may cost me some stuff, but I'm going to give praise to the one who saved me. I'm going to make sure you know, and, man, I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel. I'm not going to let anyone, anyone silence my praise of who God is. See, we have to be those people that realize, man, it's not our role to save anyone. You don't save anyone. You know what you do? You proclaim praise to the one who saves. That's what you do. You invite people to look at your Savior. You invite people to know who your Savior is. Hmm. Here's my closing question for you. Is, is your devotion rooted 
in the gospel and rightly focused? Is your devotion rooted in the gospel and is it rightly focused? See, I feel like some people have lost focus in certain areas. Some of us have lost focus on what the gospel is, on what our devotion should be, on why we should be devoted. And the reality is God shows us clearly our devotion is rooted in what Jesus has done. Our devotion is not rooted in, in anything outside of that. Our devotion is rooted in the gospel. And our devotion must be focused. Are you committed to making disciples? Are you committed to making disciples? That's what God calls us to do. So I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward, please. And as they come forward, we're going to prepare our hearts for communion. We're going to do communion a little bit different this to today than we normally do. Um, but the, the, the one thing...